welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. My name is Andre. I'm one of the pastors here at the city. Uh, in the last uh, month, I recently took over and as the lead pastor of the city. So very, very good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us and being a part of our community. Um, I, I just love you know, the, the, the songs we, we sang today. You know, and and you know, we, we have a really simple vision uh, in, the, in the city. And our vision is this, uh, in our city as it is in heaven. You know, this is our pursuit. This is why we, we do church. This is why we do the things we do. You know, we desire to see heaven touch earth. Amen? How many of you believe that that is a reality? That can be a reality. That is possible. You know, it's not some grandeur, outlandish, unattainable vision, but it is the very heart of God. His heart is for heaven to touch earth. And if you were to desire for anything less, it wouldn't be the full measure of God's heart for you and I. So, you know, we are on this mission to see heaven touch earth. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I want to set a bit of context, you know, for you on why build this city. Um, I've always loved the song. Is it okay to like songs? Yeah? I've... I love Starship. It's, it's, it's actually, one, one of our wedding marching songs was a, a Starship song. What, what is that song called? We can build, nothing's going to stop us now. Man, it's a, that's a very biblical song. Uh, but I, I want to set some context for you this morning on why we're doing this series and, uh, and share a short word. I won't go long. Um, but no, the, the first sermon of any series is usually a, a, a real foundation, foundational sermon and uh, we'll build on it as we go. Amen. And so uh, we'll, this is an eight-week journey, so I encourage you to track, uh, track along, you know, make sure you show up, and uh, if you aren't able to make it, tune in the podcast, uh, but it's an eight-week journey. Pray for me, pray for grace. Uh, I'm going to attempt to preach for eight weeks, so pray for me, my, my marriage, uh, my laptop, and all that good stuff. Well, <clears throat> uh, I was recently in the, in the, in the life group uh, on Friday, I, I get the opportunity to go around different life groups and uh, just to share, just to hang out with people. Um, we're, we're, we're small, but we're not so small. And so uh, those opportunities are always really nice that I get to meet new people. And uh, one of the feedbacks uh, I, I, I've gotten recently on um, church and my preaching is uh, I don't share enough jokes anymore. And I, and I tell the people, I was like, um, you know, I try it, but I, I don't get that, that response. I don't get that laughs, you know, and so I've been really discouraged and uh, really sad lately, you know. Uh, this, this might come as news to you, but one of the reasons why I started dating Amy was because she found that I was the, she thought I was the funniest person on planet Earth, and so, and that's pretty high up on the requirement. And I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's exclusive to me, but gentlemen, is it really important for your wives to find you funny? Yes? <laughs> Laugh at our jokes, come on. Well, t- today, before, before I start, I, I want to I want to share with you a, a, a bunch of stuff, and you know, I have the privilege of using Google, and uh, Google shoots out uh, fun stuff every now and then. Today, I want to show you some funny church signs. Can we have my slides? Funny church signs. And these are all real. You know, I'm so thankful for our design team. How many of you love that graphic, the Build the City graphic? Come on, I want to turn it into a t-shirt, a hat, a patch. Uh, Sarah did it, right? Sorry, Sarah. Woo! That's amazing. Come on. I want a t-shirt. And so uh, I'm so thankful of our design team, their creativity, and uh, the, the beauty they bring to our church. Amen? Come on. Yeah? yeah. Uh, how many of you are ready for God's Word this morning? Yes? 
Awesome. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, we thank you that when two or three are gathered, that you are indeed here. God, we thank you for your presence that's already in this place. And Lord, we do not take it lightly. God, we ask that even as we uh, dive into your word this morning, Lord, that you will meet us here. Lord, we say our hearts are ready, are receptive to an encounter with you. God, that's what we are asking for this morning, not to be tickled with nice theology, not to be wowed with facts, with uh, different uh, uh, ideas, God, but Lord, we ask that we will leave here having encountered you. So God, we ask that you will have your way, do as you will. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ready? Okay. So I I have a bit of a challenge here. I'm going to set the context of the series and I'm going to lay a bit of the foundations for what uh, we're going to do in the next eight weeks. And so I would love for you to track with me. Respond if you can. Smile, please. For the love of all things pure, smile. Yes, we are happy. We are joyful. All right. Let's start. One of the the greatest uh, revelations that... uh, has been given to the church in recent years is, is the truth that uh, the church is not a building, it's a people. It's an amazing truth. You know, the church is not a monument, it's a, it's a movement. You know, if you were to really study the wordings used to describe the church in the Bible, it always refers to the church as a people, ecclesia, a, a called out people, a sent out people. It's never in reference to a building, a program, or an organization. It's always about people. You know, it's, it's such a beautiful truth because, you know, we are the church. The church is not a program you attend. It's not an event. It's not a show put up by clergymen. It's a people. You and me, we, we are the church. That's, that's amazing news. And so, you know, we, we have to view that through the, the lens of uh, the people you know, in, in that day, in the first century, the notion of going to church didn't exist. Going to church was, was a, a weird statement because we are the church. I am the church. We get to be the church. The church was wherever we went. And so, you know, by extension, the presence of God was not something you would access only when you went to church on a fixed day at a fixed time. The presence of God became something accessible all the time, because you are the church. Agree with me? Yeah? That means, you know, you, you can worship at home. You have permission to do so. You know, you don't have to wait till Sunday morning and loon and say, have that 30-minute fix and then tahan for the rest of it. You know, you get to do that. You get to, you get to crack open your Bible. <laughs> you do, you know. You don't need permission from the pastor to crack open your Bible. You get to do that at home. Right? No, but I've, but I've discovered this, you know, um, as a person and as a Christian for the last 10 years, that um, every truth, no matter how great, how amazing, how powerful, how revolutionary, has the potential to be distorted, perverted, misconstrued into something dysfunctional. Think about uh, the truth about the Sabbath, about rest. You know, we heard about rest last week. Rest, if uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing that we get to partake in, you know, that, that whole idea of leaning back, of resting in the Lord, of stilling our soul and watching the Lord fight on our behalf. That's a beautiful thing that we get to experience. 
But if rest even isn't kept in check, isn't governed, it can be misconstrued, perverted, taken to an extreme that it wasn't ever meant to be taken to. And so, you know, it, it can even be taken to an extreme. My rest looks like I don't have to do anything. I don't have to preach the gospel. It's fine. You know, I get to rest. You know, uh, it, it might look like anytime you face something tough, difficult, inconvenient, uncomfortable, you go, I'm striving. I'm into striving mode now. Now I need to rest. How many of you know that that is a, a, a dysfunctional view on a beautiful truth? Yes? The truth of we are the church is such a glorious, beautiful, true, beautiful revelation. It's so personal to me. and so impacted my walk with Christ. But I've seen it taken to its extreme end. You know, I've had people come to me and they go, uh, Andre, uh, I am the church. What? That means I don't need to go to church. I am the church. I, you know, the Bible says that I am the church. And so going to a church, being in the house of God, committing to a Sunday morning, putting it in my schedule is a redundant thing. I don't need to have that. I am the church. You no, know, for all of us here, because you know, we're here on Sunday morning, that sounds like a ridiculous statement. But you know, it, it might manifest in the form of, hey, today you know, I, don't, I don't need to go to church. I, I have the live stream, but I can just access the live stream. You know? Or uh, I don't need to go to church today. You know? I can get my needs met somewhere else. You know? like, for example, you know, if you were to come to church uh, to get teaching, you know, world-class teaching, and to be wowed by theology, by facts, by truths, by rhymes and synonyms and all that good stuff, I wouldn't be the best person to deliver that, right? We can all agree. I'm not the best preacher on planet Earth, except to Amy. I am the best preacher on planet Earth, but to all y'all, you know, there are better preachers out there, right? And so if the goal of coming to church is to get great teaching, or great teaching is the goal of Christianity, then being in this church doesn't really fulfill that need, does it? Right, you know, you can Google and, you know, so what is the value of coming to church, of being a part of a church community? I'd like to suggest to you this morning that being a part of a community, being part of a house of God is not an option. It's not an option. And my hope and endeavor through this series is to help you rediscover the value, the worth of this gathering and the calling of this house, and to have reverence for what we do here on a Sunday morning. Amen? Church is big on, on, on God's heart. This gathering says that He loves the gathering. Amen? Come on, are you alive? Like, I'd like to read to you a scripture, and this is, will be the scripture that we will base the entire series on. It's from Matthew 16. It goes like this. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's the goal. For heaven to touch earth. Our goal as a church is simple, in our city as it is in heaven. All that we do, all that we Endeavor to accomplish is all unto that upward call and that goal of seeing the realities of heaven made manifest on the earth. I don't know about you, you know, it sounds out there, it sounds uh, a bit obscure and far-fetched, but to me, it means the world because I've seen people and I know of people who are right now going through the most hellish situations without hope, 
without any possible uh, out to resolve the situations they're in. And I know without a shadow of doubt that the solutions of the world won't cut it. They need heaven to touch their situation. They need heaven to be on earth. And to me, it's not just a fluffy call. It is something that I earnestly desire and I hope that you will desire that as well. And how many of you know, know of people right now who are in situations that are without hope, that are without solution? How many of you know any, of, any people? I'm sure we do. People who are in terminal conditions, people who are, who are in estranged relationships, people who have lost hope, for uh, lost purpose, lost mission in life. They need heaven to touch their world, their lives. And my belief is that we as a church, we play a part in seeing that reality happen. And the church gathering, the church community exists to display, to express what heaven is like. This is what we get to do here. Amen? I'd like to, to give you a bit of insight into this verse. You know? It says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Okay, we're all familiar with Peter in the Bible, yeah? You know, what does Peter mean in his original script? Anybody? It means... Rock, stone, pebble. Okay, the name Peter actually comes from the word Petros. And Petros can be translated into stone, rock, or pebble. A single stone, a single rock, a single pebble. Okay, follow me. And it says this, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's a biblical promise. That when the church is built, when the church is established, the gates of Hades shall not prevail. That's a promise. Come on. That's a promise. You know, sometimes, you know, um, over time when the Bible is translated multiple times, some of the uh, original meanings get lost over time. I'd like to give you a bit of insight on that word rock. It says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock I will build my church. The word rock is the word Petra. Everybody say Petra. And Petra, its meaning is this. It's a formation of many small pebbles, many small rocks. So Petros means this, a single rock. I say to you that you are a single rock. And on this formation of many rocks, I will build my church. Here's my suggestion to you. That the church was never meant to be built on the backs of a few charismatic individuals. But we collectively as a people are the church. We come together and we build the house of God. Ephesians 4 says this, that every joint supplies. You are here for a purpose. You are the church. We collectively are the church. And we get to build this church, this city together. It's not, I cast a vision, I give you a floor plan, you get on board. No. We collectively, staff, non-staff, volunteers, lay people, retirees, people who have careers, we all get to come together and supply life into this body and watch the house of God be built and established. And the promise is this, that when this house is built, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Heaven meets earth. Amen? Come on, are you all with me? Are you all with me, Yes. One of the calls of this house is to be a house of champions. And we've heard that many times. And, you know, it's, uh, 
it's a, it's a real uh, privilege and honor to have a bunch of people here, you know, and I'm sure all of us are to some degree influential in, in our, our world. You, know, you might be influencing your kids, you might be influencing corporations and companies and uh, ministers and, and what have you. We get to champion, we get to advance God's purpose and mission on the earth through uh, whatever you do you know, during the week. Amen? But here's what I say to you. We can only be a house of champions when we are first and foremost a house. We can only be a house of champions when we are first and foremost a house. I think we have that champions part sorted out pretty well. You know, we have people pursuing a bunch of stuff you know, outside of what we do on a Sunday gathering. But the call is to be a house of champions. Amen? You know, I just finished uh, the series Soul Prosperity. How many of you were, were there for that year? You know, we, we, uh, it's a six-week uh, series, you know, and I have uh, the notes and stuff like that. And uh, the whole uh, premise and concept of the series is this. Whatever happens in your internal world directly affects and impacts your external world. That's the heart of the Lord for you and me. You know, m- very often Christians live life having the external impact, the internal. But God desires for your internal to impact your external. It says that out of the heart flows the issues of life. Jesus had perfect peace in the storm so that he was able to release peace to calm the storm. The heart of God is for your internal world to impact the external. Follow me. Yes? I'd like to suggest to you that whatever happens here is meant to impact the external. I'd like to take it a step further and say this, that the health of what we do here as a church directly correlates to our effectiveness in the world. Amen? The call is this, to build the church. We are only effective out there as we are in here. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? We are all called to belong. We are all called to be connected, grafted into a community. We weren't meant to do life alone as lone renegades, as rambles who, uh, after a solo mission of establishing God's kingdom on the earth. No. Establishing His kingdom on the earth has a context, and the context is to be in community, to be in a home, in a house. We grafted into family. And that's why we built this church together. I'm making sense. So through this series, we'll talk about what makes us the church as well as what makes the city the city. You know, we can all agree that as individuals, we have a unique identity, calling, mission, and purpose, yes? But I believe, you know, that that extends to churches as well. Every church has a unique identity, calling, purpose, and mission. And through this series, I hope to discover that with you. Am I making sense? You all with me? So yes, eight weeks and we will discover you know, what makes the city the city. And uh, at the end of eight weeks, I would love to give an invitation for you to partner, to come alongside. You know, maybe some of you might be new to this church and haven't really gotten involved. Maybe some of you have been here since the start. But at the end of the series, I'm going to give an invitation for us to recommit our lives, our talents, our time, our treasure to building God's house. Because to me, you know, it's one of the greatest privileges on planet Earth. 
we get to build God's house, that we get to establish this thing and watch heaven touch earth. It's beautiful. Amen? We got a life. Yeah, I read you jokes, you know. I try it. <laughs> You're with me. Yeah. Help me out. Come on. You know, I'm going to get into my sermon and, and today I'm not going to go long. At least I hope not. I don't want to lie, so I'll, I'll go medium. Okay. I've done a, a study recently and uh, I, I tried to study um, the various reasons why Jesus came to earth. You know, I get bored sometimes and so I do studies. Um, you know, there, there is the obvious reason why Jesus came to planet earth, yes? He came to die for my sins, right? To save me from an eternal destiny that I want no part of. To save me from eternal torment. And so, yes, you know, Jesus came to save. You know, but uh, there are also... Uh, many other reasons why Jesus came to save. You know, the Bible seems to suggest that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, of the evil one. You know, Jesus, through his life, would save, and he would not only do that, he would heal, he would deliver, he would set free the oppressed. So Jesus came for, for many reasons, and he did many things through his life on earth, and he's still doing a mighty work in your life and mine right now. Okay? We, we don't talk about a dead Messiah. He is alive, seated at the right hand of God forever. Amen? And so, you know, there, there are many reasons why Christ came to earth. You know, but I believe that all these uh, points are sub-points to a primary mission. And I believe the primary mission was captured in this verse that I'm about to show you in John chapter 1. It says this, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. I believe the primary mission of Christ coming to the earth, condescending Himself, leaving heaven's comfort, is to do this, to reveal the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Colossians refers to Him as the image of the invisible God. Come on, He's the perfect representation of the Father. There are two foundation truths in Christian theology. Truth number one is this. God is immutable. Say immutable. That means that God does not change and is not subject to change. Point number two is this. God is perfectly revealed in Jesus. Let me break it down to you. It means that Jesus does not change God. Jesus reveals God. Jesus is God. We do not have a schizophrenic trinity. I love this quote from one of my heroes, Brian Zahn. He says this, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. Now we do. Christ is the perfect representation, revelation of the Father. He came to reveal the Father. Amen? You know, it, it's, it's so controversial. You know, um, today, you know, we, we, it, it seems like simple truth, simple doctrine to us. But if you were to view that statement in the context of the early church, in the context of first century, it was an outlandish, uh, blasphemous statement to refer to God as Father. Jesus, you know, is on a mission to reveal the Father, but not only that, he would constantly refer to himself as the Son of God praying intimate prayers, calling God 
Abba, Father. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, in, in the old days, before the cross, um, whenever the name of God was written, and catch this, you know, no man was allowed to utter the name of God. It was held with such reverence and to some degree such distance. And whenever the name of God was written by the scribes on the scroll, whenever it was written, they had to take the pen that was used to write that name immediately and burn it ceremoniously and take a new pen out and begin to write again. Every time. Can you imagine? For God, and chug it, so love the world that God, <laughs> you know, and you have to keep chugging it ceremoniously and burning it. Because they held the name of God with such regard. They held him with such reverence and to some degree, distance and fear. Fear of punishment, fear of death. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. This guy from out of nowhere and calls himself the son of God. Refers to he whose name is not even to be mentioned. Whose name is treated with such regard and respect and refers to him, the image of the invisible the invisible God, as Abba, as Father. That, that is crazy, right? Are you with me? But catch this. Jesus didn't just stop at the proclamation of his status as the Son of God. He then invites you and I, sinners, flawed people, people who don't have it all together, into a relationship with his father. And that is captured in what I believe is the most iconic prayer and defining prayer that Jesus ever prayed. That's the Lord's Prayer. Okay, can we have that up? You know, we sang about it earlier. I, I tr trust me, we didn't orchestrate this whole thing. It just happened. So, yeah, worship team. You know, one thing about the Lord's Prayer, you know, um, it's, it's okay, let's, let's just go for it. <clears throat> Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray. When the disciples asked Jesus how they should pray, Jesus replied in this manner, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Says our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's no longer just his Father. but It's now our Father. When he taught the disciples to pray in that manner, he was essentially saying this, that you get to be grafted. You get to be part of this family. You get to be part of this union. Pray in this manner. Our Father. You get to be intimate with Him. You get to be connected with Him. No longer do you hold Him at a distance. No longer do you uh, have an unhealthy perspective and an unhealthy fear towards Him, but now you get to draw close. He is your Abba too. He is your father. I'm making sense. Yeah. Our acceptance into God's family is the basis of all that is the kingdom. Catch this. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That relationship, that connection, that truth that we are accepted into God's family undergirds, holds up, all that is the kingdom. We can't pursue the kingdom without pursuing a relationship with the Father. They are not mutually exclusive. They are one and the same. 
this kingdom that we talk about, this kingdom that we pursue has a context. And that context is this. You and I are loved, accepted, have a place that we belong in the Father. It's not just a, a side theology that we bring up every now and then. No, it's the very basis, the very foundation of our faith. And it's the very thing that Christ came to establish on the earth. He came to reveal the Father. Not just show you who He is, but tell you that you get to be in relationship with Him as well. He came to make that possible. He came to make the Father accessible. Am I making sense? Thank you for responding, people. Am I making sense? I love this story when, when Jesus was baptized in water and when he came up, he said that the heavens parted and um, a voice from heaven came, came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, it's, it's, it's a simple story, simple truth, but how many of you know that at that point in time, Jesus didn't do, hasn't done any ministry? He hasn't done anything for God, so to speak. He hasn't healed the sick, he hasn't delivered a bunch of people, he hasn't preached, he hasn't done any of that. But God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The basis, the foundation of all of Jesus' ministry was that he was loved and accepted by the Father. So many times we work and we try and toil and we try to, to you know, churn up something in order to attain acceptance from the Lord. But we get to live lives knowing that we are already accepted. We work from acceptance, not for acceptance. Making sense? When we move away from the concept of family, this connection, this union with God as a father, we move away from what is the kingdom. They are mutually exclusive. They are one and the same. Family is a big deal to God. And we are on a mission to build this church, to see God's kingdom established on the planet. My suggestion to you this morning is that to build this city, to build this church, to build God's house, it has to be one that reflects family. Family is a big deal to God. This is my sermon title for this morning. We are a family. I got all my sisters with me. <laughs> Young people, expose yourself to old music. Come here with me. Yes. I want to put out scripture, Isaiah 9 verse 6. It's a Christmas scripture, but it says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Catch this, government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, that which is the Holy Spirit, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. I'd like to suggest to you that heaven's government looks like family. It looks like family. For all eternity, the Trinity, it's family. Heaven's government is family. I believe the role of this body, our church gatherings will do the same, is to create family. See, family is not a buzzword that, that we use in church. You know, it's not 
uh, a word we use to describe a laid back chill atmosphere. It's not a way we, we say, oh, this is family and it means that we lower our standards of excellence and we don't do things as well. Or when things go wrong and when things are a bit noisy, a bit messy, we say, oh, this is family. It's not that. Family, it's not a cop-out. Family is a divine ex- assignment. It's the very reason for our existence to create, to model, to establish family. It is not an option. It is an assignment. It's an assignment. It's an assignment. It's a calling. It's, it's a mandate from heaven. We are called to establish family. It's with that, no, I'd like to show you this. This is one of our core statements. It says this, that the city is not just a service you attend, but a family you belong to. The fundamental belief is this, that this community is not an event. It is not a time slot. It's not a spot in your calendar. But this community is family. This is not just a place you attend, but it's a place you belong to. And I think I will, I will go through whatever I'm about to say, and I believe I'll go through the years is to discover what family is like, what heaven's perspective of family is like, and intentionally display, express, model it on the earth. That's our call and our vision as a church. To see heaven touch earth, we need to have family in this room. Amen? It's what Jesus came to reveal. I'd like to show and ask passage of scripture, John chapter 14, verse 23. It says this, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come and make our home with him. You know, I talk about uh, this a bunch of times, you know, uh, that uh, we're all familiar with the word apostle, yes? You know, it was the term given to uh, the 12 disciples when Jesus uh, commissioned them for ministry. And it was a term given to uh, Paul as well, the, the word apostle. But, uh, you know, apostle is not uh, a word or a term invented by Jesus. But it's actually a borrowed term from uh, the Roman government. And what uh, apostles would do in the context of Rome is that they were commissioned as envoys to different cities uh, and these cities were conquered by uh, Rome, by Caesar himself. And so uh, these envoys, these apostles, were commissioned into these cities to, uh, to, with this primary mission, to make that city look like Rome. Historians would say that Caesar had a crazy desire to feel like home, to feel like he was at Rome when, wherever he go. And so he had this desire that when he went into his conquered cities, he wanted to feel as though he was in Rome. And so apostles went in with a primary mission to change the, the design, to change the look, to change the education system, to change things were run in order for that city to look like Rome. Because Caesar had a desire to feel at home. What is apostolic ministry? What does it mean to move apostolically? It means this, that we are on a mission. We have an endeavor to make our earth, our homes, look like His home. Look like heaven. I put it to you that Christ has a desire for His home 
to be made manifest on this earth, for heaven to touch earth. And that's what it means to be an apostle. That's what it means to be on a mission of apostolic ministry, to see his reality made manifest in our world, in our reality. Amen. Because he has a desire to feel at home. You know, I count in my life three times I've heard uh, the voice of God. And it's, um, it's one of those moments, I, I don't know whether you've experienced it, where uh, you hear the voice of God and uh, you're so absolutely certain and sure that it is God that no one can convince you otherwise. You know, I've had three of such occasions and it was so clear and, and it was right there, you know, and, and I, I, I can't deny it. The first uh, time I've heard the voice of God was... Uh, before I went to ministry school uh, in Reading, you know, I had uh, an encounter with God. I heard God, and I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I knew absolutely that I needed to go to ministry school. And that started three years of, uh, of uh, being in school. At the end of my three years in school, I had another encounter, and I heard the voice of God. And that word gave me the courage, gave me the resolve, gave me the right perspectives to come back home. And, and I still remember it till today. You know, it's so clear, so vivid. Some three months ago, you know, I was uh, at home and I was just praying for the church and uh, specifically for this series. And uh, I heard God speak to me. And it's one of those um, times where I was absolutely clueless with what God meant, but I knew uh, without a shadow of a doubt that He, he spoke. And this is what uh, I heard from God. And I, I heard Him say this, that I will visit where you visit, but I will dwell where you dwell. Yeah, I know. Your confused faces. I had the same one. I was like, what? You know, I will visit where you visit, but I will dwell where you dwell. Till today, I'm still trying to unpack that statement and trying to discover all of which you know, that statement means and entails for my life and the life of the church. But here's, here's the the you know, the tip of the iceberg, the, the little takeaway I've, I've received, you know, and, and I know. I believe that he is, he will be committed to where we are committed to. I believe that he honors your commitment. And where you dwell, he will dwell. Where you make a decision to root yourself, to ground yourself, he will do the same. A house will still be a house even if it's unoccupied. But a house can only become a home when it is occupied. In order for us to see that verse made reality and made manifest in this church, he has to be here. I will dwell where you dwell. I'd like to suggest to you that the measure of God we see in this room, in our service, you know, in the various things we do, is directly correlated to the measure to which we will sacrifice, to the measure to which we will give, to the measure to which we will dwell. Amen? Am I making sense? I'm just going to read a, a verse real quick. Um, 
Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Amazing verse, right? All these benefits. But catch this, that none of the benefits actually apply to you unless you do the first thing. Which is this, he who dwells. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Then comes all the benefits. He who dwells. He who dwells. Is this a place you visit or is this a place you dwell? Is God's presence a place you visit or is it a place you dwell? Is God's word a place you visit or is it a place you dwell? Keeps my word and we will come make our home with him. Amen? My hope is for us to regard the city not just as a place we attend, but a people, family, community, a home that we belong to. How many of you know that God's house is not a matter of an attendance record? It's a heart commitment. It's intentionality. It's purposeful. It's a resolve to show up, to be present. It's not a box you check off, but it's a community, a family you belong to. In family, you don't go home and you don't check off your attendance record. For the last 27 years of my life, I have not missed a day at home. <laughs> you, don't, you don't approach it that way. Right? You go home, you be present with your loved ones. You give where you need to give. You go the extra mile when you need to. You serve. You take ownership. You belong. Amen? In closing, I'd like to share three things I believe should exist in a healthy church family and in a home. And by extension, I... I, I I believe that these three things should exist in all of our homes, in all of our families as well. You know, um, Being a newly married person, this is something so fresh to me, but it's something that I endeavor to do in, in my own home, in my own family as well. First thing I think exists in a home is, a home is to be a place of comfort. Everybody say comfort. Comfort. You know, Amy has the privilege of being married to me, and I have the privilege of being married to Amy. Yeah, I said the second statement. Don't, 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 don't cut out. <laughs> um, comfort, right? You know, home is a place of comfort, right? How, how many of you can agree with that? Yes, it's, it's to be a place of comfort. Or ideally, it's to be a place of comfort. You know, I, I have a, a shirt that none of you will ever see. Only Amy will see it. None of you will ever see that shirt. It's, it's stained. It's, it's see-through to some extent. It's uh, torn, tattered. Yeah, okay. Then one day we will have a pajamas service and you can yeah. come in. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's a place of comfort, yeah? You, you do things at home that you'll never do outside. Yes? Okay. Don't let your minds wander. But, but I have a shirt. Okay, I have a shirt. And it's stained and it's ugly and does not make it outside, you know? Um, I wear a hairband at home. I don't know whether you, you know, I, I, I do. I do wear a hairband because my, my fringe touches my eye and I get irritated like that. And so I wear a hairband and none of y'all will ever see me in a hairband. Yeah, it's, I don't roll that way outside. Um, so when, when I talk about comfort, okay, 
uh, I don't mean comfort in the sense of do nothingness or being passive or being, uh, in the words of Singaporeans, noir. I, I don't mean that. But I mean comfort in the sense of belonging. Everybody say belonging. I heard this profound statement uh, once, and the preacher said this, that the disciples, the 12 disciples, belonged before they believed. They belonged before they believed. It's so profound. Don't, don't let this statement slip, slip by. The disciples belonged before they believed. Read through the Gospels. While they were with Jesus, while they were with the Messiah, while they were doing the stuff with Him, they struggled with their belief. They weren't all there. I mean, some of them would say they are all there, but you know, towards the end, you realize that they are not there. They belonged before they believed. It is such a profound statement. Because sometimes, we put belief as a prerequisite to belonging in the church, this family. We put belief, we put having the right perspectives, doing the right things, uh, abstaining from the right things, uh, having the same standards, believing in our tenets of faith, our belief system. We put all these things as a prerequisite to belonging when Christ never did that. They belonged. They had a place to call home before they believed. What, what would it look like? To be a church like that, where people could find belonging, could find safety, could find hope, even before they believe. We inevitably do that, do we? Hey, you save ready, not? Or like, or when, when people come in, you know, maybe they are all tattered up, or they have different, you know, values. You come in and like, oh, you know, you should get that worked out before you you come in. We put it as a prerequisite. You know, I, I did missions in Haiti a, a couple of times and uh, I remember once uh, uh, just preaching gospel to a man on the street and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he got saved, praise God, and, uh, and we uh, were talking to him after uh, that moment and I was like, hey, uh, you should come to, to church. You know, I know this church that runs at this timing, at this location, you should go and you should attend. And he said this to me, um, sir, I can't attend the church because I don't have a suit. I don't own a suit. And he began to share with me this, this experience where he, we once went to a church and because he didn't have a suit, because he wasn't dressed appropriately, they told him, sir, you cannot be a part of the church. You have to come back another day when you get a suit. We don't do that here. Some of you are in berms and slippers. Hey, do, do whatever you want. You know, I'm, 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 I'm cool. You know, one day we might even have hats on the worship team. Oh, yeah. Calm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many of you would love to see Desmond ahead? I would. I can't work. <laughs> right, no. I mean, it sounds like a, 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 weird, a weird thing. You know? Oh, you, do, you mean you need to wear a suit in order to come to church? Hey, for, for some churches, yes. We might not require a suit, you know, but we might have other requirements, other prerequisites that we unintentionally put on people, yeah? Right? But what, what, what will it look like to be a place that allows people to belong before they believe? Am that making sense? Here's my conviction, and here's what I believe we all should be convicted about. It's this fact that Jesus spent more time sitting with sinners than he did standing up against sin. 
Jesus was known as a man who would sit with sinners, who would spend time with them, who would love on them, more than he was a man of principle, righteousness, standing up against things. I think sometimes we are so concerned with appearing right that we unintentionally neglect the first and second commandment. Am making sense? Running out of time, but let's have this scripture, Galatians 3, 28. Love this verse. It says, this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, neither, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus came to eradicate three divides that we have entertained over time. He came to destroy the divide between the supernatural and natural. To Jesus, there is no supernatural. It's only natural. He came to destroy the divide between what is secular and what is sacred. Because you are a royal priesthood, all that you do is sacred. God desires to be involved in your church service as much as he does your work, your careers, your family. He came to destroy that divide. But the last divide I believe he came to destroy is a divide between us and them. There's no longer us and them. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That means that extension of family, that extension of belonging, that extension of calling God Father does not or is not restricted to this faith community. But it's an open invitation to all of God's children. Teach them to pray, Our Father. The lie is this, that your faith is personal. Therefore, it is to be private. I put it to you that your faith, though personal, is not meant to be private. When I read you know, the, the writings of Paul, I notice that whenever he mentions God, he always refers to God as our Lord. A few times he says, it's my Lord. More, more often than not, he refers to God as our Lord. Because this is meant to be a, a corporate experience. The church, the body is made up of many parts. Your faith, though personal, is not meant to be private. It's meant to be corporate. It's meant to include. Am I making sense? Are you with me? When I was younger, after getting a, a bit of in, independence uh, and getting my own house key, which is an accomplishment in my house, um, my mother, you know, when, when I come home late from work, uh, from, from hanging out, or I come home really late, my mother would, would look at me and say, hey, don't treat this home like a... Yeah. <laughs> Do you have the same mother? No. Uh, it's true, right? Don't treat this home like a hotel. <laughs> In unison. <laughs> Beautiful. It's true, right? You know, right? Well, what, what does my, my mom mean? No, my mom means, no, don't, don't visit here. Don't come in and out, in and out, in and out. But belong. Belong. This is a home. This is a home. Don't treat this place like a hotel. It's a home. But one of the things my, my mom would do is that my mom is a really thoughtful person and she would think a lot, you know. And so whenever we are not home, my mom was like, man, are they going to get kidnapped? Or, right. And so uh, this is what my mom would do, you know, even when you hang out late. Uh, and my siblings can attest to it. Uh, we will be out late, and my, my mom will make sure that the door is not bolted. door is uh, no, not locked. Uh, locked, locked. And uh, she would uh, be in a room, and the lights will be on, and she will wait for us to come home. And so it's, a, it's like a strategy to like, guilt trip us to come home earlier, because it's like, don't, don't want to make her stay up too late. And so you know, I, I, I would come home 
uh, no matter how late I, I went out or whatever I was up to, I would come home and the door would be open, it would not be bolted, and the lights were, were always on. This is what I hope our church can be. That no matter... I'm, I'm, I'm a mother that worries. But no matter where, where we go, no matter what we do, no matter how far we run, no matter how lost you are, no matter how uh, without rest you are, no matter whether you believe, whether you have all the, the right things in place, whether you are struggling, whether you are you know, in the pit, in darkness, that you know that this church, its doors will always be open. Its, it's lights always on. Because there is a community, there is a family that waits for you. Think about it, you know. The father in the story of the prodigal son, he, he fattened, fattened the calf in anticipation for his son to return. And that's what we want to be as a community. We want to anticipate that sons from afar will return to the family. That's why we, we are a family. That's why we are a home. Am I making sense? I'd like to hit the last two points before I run out of time. I believe that a home is to be a place of covering. Everybody say covering. Home is to be a place of safety. Our def- default almost, you feel safe to be yourself and not just that, to share needs and have them met. It says this in the Bible that true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. The word truth there is not theological truth, but it means to have nothing hidden. There's a passage in Acts chapter 2. I'd like to draw your attention to it. It says this. They devoted themselves, this is talking about early church, themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now this is a verse that we often skip over, but I'd like to give a bit of historical context for you. It says this in the last uh, verse. It says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. How did they know that people had need? Because people shared that they had need. To a Jew, having a need is one of the most shameful things to profess. I read in a book once that says this, that to a Jew, death and poverty are the same thing because in the both is the absence of choice. To be poor to a Jew is tantamount, is equivalent to death. And so to profess need in that day, in that culture, it meant this, that you are either a poor steward of what you have or you are out of favor with God. To profess need is an extremely shameful, shameful thing. But it says this of the early church, that they professed their need and they shared. And everyone who had need had that need fulfilled. This is the church. Family is where needs are openly shared and needs are met in a healthy, functional way. I'm making sense. Now, I remember this story um, in, in the church I was part of in the U.S. Uh, there was one uh, night in the, in the service, the Holy Spirit came mightily and people were all encountering the Spirit of God. And, uh, and the service leader gets up and God begins to speak to him and, and and says that, hey, there's someone here who needs a refrigerator. And this is an incredibly weird statement to make, and you know, it's out there. But you know, the, the service leader uh, was obedient and said, no, hey, I just really feel God say to me that um, there's someone here who really needs a refrigerator, and just gave the word. And out in the corner of the room, someone pipes up and says, hey, I just had a 
free refrigerator given to me. I don't need it. Would you like it? And the person's like, sure, I'll, I'll take it off your hands. And all of a sudden, right, it became a supernatural revival swap meet. And so people begin to yell out, hey, I actually need this. And then someone in the corner is like, hey, I have this to give. And someone's like, hey, I got a spare this. Does anyone need this? And the church meeting became a swap meet. It became a meeting where everyone had their needs met. What if we have such a box stuff? Oh, anyone want to try? No. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try it later. I need young adults to babysit my kids. <laughs> we can try, we can try. But what if we have such a boxed up view, such a limited understanding view of what revival is, what family is? To me, that is as much a move of God as people rolling on the floor. Needs are met. Come on. Now, I'm not going to hit my, my last one, but I, I, I want to I, I talk about this. I believe there's another aspect of safety, okay, covering, which is this. I believe this is so key to our community. We need to get this right. Proverbs 11, verse 14, it says this, where there is counsel, the people, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is safety. I believe safety looks like the freedom to share, the freedom to express need. But safety also looks like knowing that when you or if you, in the event, go the wrong direction, partake in the wrong things, that you have people around you, you have a family that will tell you to get back on the right track. Safety looks like that. Knowing that you are covered. Knowing that you are protected. Knowing that people are willing, are brave enough, are courageous enough to speak into your life. That's what we get to be as a family. The nature of deception is that the person being deceived doesn't know that he's being deceived. Profound. The man with a plank in his eye required someone to tell him that it was there. When we hold back confrontation when it needs to happen, we rob people of spiritual breakthrough. We rob people of spiritual growth. We rob people of their faith. As a family, as a community, we need to do that. We need to be serious with that. That means that when my friends have departed from the Lord, when they have moved away, when they have departed from the fundamental, from the foundational things, I don't get to, in the name of empathy, in the name of harmony, not confront them. Sometimes we elevate, we exalt harmony and empathy above spiritual breakthrough, above growth, above their faith. It will be a sad day when we realize at the end of all days, that the people we had access to, the people we, who we have the privilege, the opportunity to speak into, but we did not end up on the other side of things. The destiny and the eternity is horrendous, that's terrible. Knowing that we could have done something. As family, that's what we get to be for one another. This is to be a place of safety. Here we stand. Are you alive? The last point I'd like to bring is this. I believe home is to be a place of cost. Everybody say cost. You know, one of the... One of the you know, I go, I go to people's houses really often. Um, but imagine, if you will, you know, if I were to go to John's house uh, tonight and I use the bathroom and eat some potato chips... 
uh, as I was living, he charges me 20 cents for the bathroom visit and 50 cents for the potato chips. How many think that would be pretty ridiculous? Yes? Yes? Because here's the truth. You, you don't expect to pay where you visit. You don't expect to pay where you visit. But, when, but any homeowner, anyone who has set up home knows this, that if you don't pay your bills, the, the lights, the water, it will get cut off. Building a home, being a part of home, has a cost attached to it. Am I making sense? You don't expect to pay where you visit. But home has a cost attached to it. As a city, you know, this is home. That means that there's a cost attached to it. Amen? I'd like to bring up this verse you know, uh, in closing, Matthew 21. It's a very weird verse to end. But it's one of my favorite verses because this is a bit angsty and annoyed Jesus, which gives me the precedence to be annoyed 1% of the time. But Matthew 21 says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He returned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house shall be called house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Here's a bit of context for you. The temple of God, the house of God, up to that point, was always known as a place of sacrifice. It was always known as a place where people approached it with such reverence, awe and wonder and people come to the house of God with the purpose of laying something down, of offering sacrifice to God. But it got distorted. It got perverted. It got misconstrued to the point that it became a place where merchants gathered, where money changers gathered. Some scholars believe Gamblers get it. Catch this. Jesus took offense with those people who came to the house of God primarily for self-gain. He took offense with those who came to the gathering of saints to the house of God primarily for self-gain. No, I get it. No, we come to church and we receive from the word, we receive from worship, we receive from encountering His presence. But my suggestion to you this morning is that that is not the primary endeavor. That's not the primary purpose of this gathering. The primary purpose of you being here this morning is that you, along with all the saints gathered here, get to be little pebbles. And together, we form something called Petra. And Jesus said that, I will build my church upon Petra and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You come here to build home, a place of comfort, covering, it implies a cost. When was the last time you allowed yourself to be inconvenienced? When was the last time this cost you? It's the house of God and this is the privilege that we get to partake in as believers. That we get to lay something at the feet of Jesus. That which was restricted for priests, for dignified men. But today, we get to all bring something to the table. The Bible has this amazing promise that fire always falls on sacrifice. That if we desire to see the more of God in our midst, it has to cost us and we have to give. The city is not just a service you attend, it's a family you belong to. Welcome home.